welcome to the Regional Roundup, a production of Rocky Mountain Community Radio, a coalition of public and community radio stations in Colorado, Wyoming, Utah, Montana and New Mexico, including this one. I'm Maeve Conran, the coalition's managing editor, and today we'll hear how family members of victims of a body brokering scam in Western Colorado gathered recently to remember their loved ones. And that's what scattering the ashes is today. It's just moving on to the next phase. Then a Utah bookstore is targeted with bomb threats over their drag queen story time. The best way we can fight back is to say, you know what, buy a banned book. And in Wyoming, immigrants may have more options for legal help. There's a big need for it in this community and in the country. From Rocky Mountain Community Radio, it's the Regional Roundup. Families impacted by a Colorado funeral home body brokering scam gathered recently to pay respect to the victims and to release remains. The owners of Sunset Mesa Funeral Home in Montrose were sentenced to 15 and 20 years in federal prison earlier this year. This came after an FBI raid in 2018 showed the funeral directors had been selling bodies and body parts in the lucrative research and medical market. This was all without the family's consent. Then they gave the families fake ashes instead of the actual remains of their loved ones. Lisa Young has been reporting on the story for KVNF. Sentencing for a former Montrose mortician and her mother will take place on January 3rd, despite two attempts to delay the procedure. On January 3rd, Hess was sentenced to 20 years in federal prison, and Koch, her mother, received a 15-year term. Megan Hess, the former owner of Sunset Mesa Funeral Directors in Montrose, is making headlines again. Hess is appealing her 20 years... You know, at least two years before the FBI raid in 2018, there were complaints that were already being filed against the funeral home with Colorado's Department of Regulatory Agency, also known as DORA. And families say that nothing was happening. I did an interview with State Representative Matt Soper, and he said that Dora had requested at least five times to inspect the business, but because they don't have the authority to go in, they were being turned away by Sunset Mesa Funeral Home. Five times state regulators showed up, and five times they were told, no, you can't come onto our property. But if they had been a restaurant or a hairdresser or any other uh, regulated uh, business, they wouldn't have been able to refuse a door investigation. The tide changed in 2018, partly due to the uh, Reuters series on body brokering across the United States. In one article, they interviewed a former employee and employees of Sunset Mesa Funeral Directors. And in that story, they highlighted that the FBI was interested in Hess because she was operating a funeral home, crematory, and donor services in the same building. And that basically was giving them access to these bodies to broker to third parties around the world. So what exactly was happening? People were submitting their loved ones for a funeral service, right, to be to be dealt with after they died. But instead of the family's wishes being followed, they were actually selling the bodies and body parts what exactly was going on? Yeah, you know, the way it was working, let's say a family comes in and they say that their loved one would like to be donated, have their bodies donated for research or science. 
this was working very well for the funeral home because then they could take these bodies and sell them without the family's knowledge. The family doesn't know that this is happening. They think they're making this generous donation to education or research, while all along Megan Hess is actually selling those bodies. So the family is completely unaware of what really happened to the body of their loved one, and they're getting cremains back that aren't cremains. Now, some of them were human cremains of other people. Some of them were mixed cremains, and some people received dry cement. So the FBI started to uh, hear more and more about what was going on there. Shortly after Reuters' uh, article came out, even within a month, the FBI then raided the funeral home, and that's when they found plenty of evidence that Megan Hess and her parents, Alan and Shirley Koch, were dealing in unethical practices Basically, you know, they were lying and deceiving families about the funeral home's real intentions with the bodies. And they, they gave them, again, other people's ashes, sometimes mixed cremains, dry cement. Some of the families said that they found pieces of everyday trash that was being burned. You know, some people say that they were actually, actually had barrels, maybe five-gallon buckets of these cremains, in quotes, and then when they would sell a body off and they needed cremains or ashes to give to the family, they'd just scoop it out and give it to them. And it's, it's sad because so many times families were given these fake cremains in these unofficial, absolutely ridiculous containers. Like the one lady who thought she was receiving her grandmother's cremains, she got it back in a clear baggie with a white tie around it, like a bread tie. After the FBI raided Sunset Mesa Funeral Home, Dora then opened up an investigation, and they were able, with the help of the state, to terminate their license to operate. One can only imagine just how distressing this must be for the family members. And you spoke to several of them at a recent event that took place in Delta at the Confluence Park, and it was essentially a memorial service but in a different way, because you described there how some people were given the, what they thought were the cremains of their loved ones in like plastic bags with a bread tie. And, and some of the folks that you met at that event in Delta actually came with that. But this was unusual insofar as people didn't even know if they had the ashes of their loved ones, if they were mixed with other people. So it was really this sort of collective gathering to really memorialise and and, uh, honour everybody who's been caught up in this. Take us back to that event that happened just over a week ago. Yeah, the family members gathered at Confluence Park. They had been doing this for the last three years to hold a memorial. So this wasn't the first time that the group had come together in Delta to talk about their loved ones and share their pain and grief and and get information, you know, share information with one another. But, you know, this year was really different because uh, it comes after the sentencing of Megan Hess and her mother, Shirley Koch. And so this year's gathering was about still sharing those stories, but they also wanted to release the materials that were given to them by Sunset Mesa. And then had been returned to them following the FBI's investigation, because we can't forget that the FBI was doing this investigation. Family members were taking what they thought were their family members' cremains and having them analyzed, only to find out that they they weren't their family's cremains. So they came 
together and decided they wanted to, you know, say goodbye to let go of what it, what they were given. And some of these were legitimately human cremains. They they were someone. I talked with Crystal, who was carrying a little baggie, and uh, in that were actual human cremains and a couple of cylinder containers. One had what looked like teeth in it, and I must say they were small teeth. This person, female, male, nothing, nobody's claimed them if they could I don't even know how it worked but yeah it's very disheartening that this person didn't have a family to let them go so I was told by leaders of the Sunset Mesa funeral the support group that they had invited city and county officials numerous times from Delta and Montrose to attend these events and they never attended so that was something that I felt was a little heartbreaking because these families were kind of ha- out on their own having to deal with this without maybe the support of community officials. And, you know, the presence maybe of those community officials could really go a long way for families that are grieving. Well, one of the folks that you spoke to was Judy Kressler and her father's body was essentially stolen by Sunset Mesa Funeral Home. That's one of the bodies that was sold to Global Anatomy Project, this entity in Saudi Arabia. And then we were given uh, ashes of other people, mixed cremains of other people. And that's what we're here for today, to show respect for them and return them back to the earth. How did she feel about the sentencing of the two uh, owners of the funeral home? And, And what does she feel now that because of the sentencing, where can she go now in her own personal processing of all of this? Well, she was very pleased with the sentencing because they got the full amount, uh, pretty much. Megan Hess was sentenced to 20 years in prison, and her mother, Shirley Coe, got 15 years in prison. The really only thing that they could charge them with was mail fraud. And I talked again to Representative Matt Soper about that, and he said it's kind of like tax evasion, that it's kind of a catch-all. Judy Kressler said that she was pleased, you know, that they got the maximum amount that they could be given. For her, it was just another step in the process of finding, you know, that closure and moving forward. But now both uh, Coke and Hess have appealed their sentences. I just learned that Shirley Coke was denied her appeal on her sentence. Megan Hess is still waiting on her appeal and it's pretty likely she'll be denied. So while uh, some folks felt that they were able to get some kind of closure after that service, there was another lady, Julie Glynn from Durango. Her brother Michael was caught up in this and Julie was having a hard time with this. She said she needed a little bit more time. Julie was someone who was deeply affected by the crimes committed. I mean, everyone was. I don't want to downplay anyone else's pain. But losing her brother and then finding out that she had lost him again because he had been sold and she was given cremains, nobody knows what what they are. There were some, I think there might have been some human cremains in there. And she told me that she wanted to be there just in case any part of her you know, brother was in any of those bags or containers that were being released into the Gunnison River. But if there was a part of my brother in any one of those bags, I had to say goodbye. And then I'll say goodbye to my own bag at some point. 
that's the reason that's what drove me here today. She was one of the first to actually file a civil suit against the funeral home, and she was awarded just under $500,000 in damages. But as she said, I don't think I'll ever see a penny of that, but I know that Megan Hess responds to money. Has there been any changes now to Colorado law as a result of all of this? Well, what I can tell you is that the state lawmakers in Colorado did pass three bills that were related to the incident, including making it a Class 6 felony to abuse a corpse. And then last year in 2022, Governor Pola signed a law that will give Dora the authority to inspect funeral homes following complaints. And I've heard that more legislation may be on its way that would better help regulate the funeral industry in Colorado as well as some attempts to change federal law. Because, again, there's nothing on the books for this kind of thing. It's not illegal to sell bodies. It's not illegal to cut them up and sell them to research, science. You know, it's not. And it's very well known that it is not regulated anywhere like an actual transplant donation, right? That's highly regulated. But body brokering is not. And you can see the temptation to do the unthinkable if you're not going to be held accountable, you know. So I think Colorado uh, responded as far as our state lawmakers to do the best they could at the time. But I think so much more needs to be done, not only in the state of Colorado, but federally, because this is continuing to happen. It, It has changed the way people, the victims, see funerals and funeral homes. Many of them now will ask to see the body in the casket right prior to burial, or they want to actually see the body go into the crematory furnace because they don't know. They don't, the trust has been broken and severed in such a horrific way that these lives are changed forever. And I think that a lot of people in the community have wanted to distance themselves a little bit because it is, it is pretty hard to wrap your head around what happened there. Well, is there anything else you think listeners need to be aware of about this story, Lisa? There is something I do want to say, and that is these victims have suffered so much, and many of them have expressed again. I told you about them talking with city and county officials. I really hope that there's a city or county official out there, either in Montrose or Delta, who would spearhead an actual community meeting, a a public gathering, where they can acknowledge what has happened and acknowledge the pain of the victims and the grieving families like we do for other things. We're talking 500, maybe 800 victims. That's a lot of people. That's a lot of families. You know, there was only a fraction, maybe, of the people that went to this memorial at Confluence Park. There were maybe 10 or 12 family members. How many more are out there? How many more could really benefit from a real official public meeting with public officials in the counties affected and maybe even, you know, donate a plot in a cemetery that's run by the county or the city for the rest of these folks to be able to bring what they have and actually see it in turn in a way that is what they were hoping to do. Well, people can read and listen to a lot more of Lisa Young's reporting on what happened with the Sunset Mesa Funeral Home and its impact on the family members. That's all at kvnf.org. Lisa, thanks very much for talking to us on The Roundup. You're welcome, Maeve. You're listening to The Regional Roundup from Rocky Mountain Community Radio.
A bookstore in Salt Lake City received a bomb threat recently over its hosting of a drag queen story time. This comes as Utah experiences an increase in hate crimes directed at the LGBTQ community. According to the Utah Department of Public Safety, reported hate crimes targeting LGBTQ people are at a five-year high. KRCL's Gavin Dahl spoke with Anne Holman, manager of the King's English Bookshop, which received the bomb threat. So tell us about what happened. Um, so Sunday, I, I think around 9.30, getting ready to open, a bunch of booksellers in the place. And one of our booksellers went out the back door to put our blind date with a book display out in the parking lot, which we do every day. And the parking lot was full of cops. So that was a surprise. And they said, there's been a bomb threat. You need to evacuate immediately. They were taping off the whole block, um, both sides of the alley. So we didn't know. The threat actually didn't come to us. The threat was emailed to the police and to KSL, uh, as far as I know. I don't know if it was emailed to other radio or TV stations or not. And so it was a surprise. And that's not the kind of surprise anybody wants to get Mm. um, ever. And so there were a couple customers getting ready to come in the store. I, th- I think Tara, our drag queen, was literally on her way out the door with her car keys in hand. And Calvin was able to reach her and say, this is what just happened. And they kind of quickly decided maybe, maybe we wouldn't try and do drag queen story time today. And in fact, we decided to just close the whole store. The employees were visibly upset, of course. Yeah. Um, I think a lot of people on the block were. And so we just said, you know what, let's call it a day. Let's wait and see what happens, get our feet back under us again, and we'll come back on Monday morning. And have you done uh, drag story time events in the past? We've done drag story time, I wouldn't say a lot, because we tried to do it before the um, pandemic started and just just hadn't kind of gotten gotten it organized yet. And then this partnership with Tara started, I guess, in spring of last year. And we said, well, let's just try it once a week or once a month on the patio. It's beautiful weather. So the last Sunday of the month, we've been doing it with Tara. And sometimes she brings friends. Sometimes she's by herself. And it's been great. We did decide to ticket it because we just wanted an idea of how many people were going to come. Was it going to be successful? And interestingly, last time, August, it was a smaller crowd. And we were a little disappointed. And Tara said, well, no, I don't think it's disappointing. I think it means we've normalized it. Hmm. You know, story time with 10 kids is more normal than 30. And so this Sunday was going to be our last drag queen on the patio anyway, because the weather's turning. Um, you know, I'm sure we'll do drag queen story time again and, and other forms and fashions with Tara, but this was going to be the last one. And so we haven't got anything planned, but you better believe we will. I spoke to the CEO of another longtime institution in Salt Lake, a nonprofit that was recently the victim of a threat that thankfully didn't result in any sort of real attack. Um, She told me that since the purpose of these types of threats is disruption and intimidation, once they worked with law enforcement to investigate what happened, they chose not to go public with their story. And uh, they, you know, don't felt like um, that would just add to the idea that um, folks involved in their community need to live in fear at all times. And so I just wonder kind of, was that a consideration? I mean, this is such a public, setting with all these law enforcement showing up again you the threat wasn't made to you directly you learned about it from law enforcement showing up to cordon off the area um but you know what's what's your 
attitude at at the King's English about uh, going public? I mean, here being on the radio and talking about it. Sure. Well, you got to stand up to bullies, for one thing. And we didn't have any choice in the matter. By the time it happened and we opened the door, KSL already had the email and they were already responding. So it was already happening everywhere, regardless of of what we were going to choose to say about it. You know, and then and the news have been, you know, the news people have been calling and to not say anything about it to us meant we didn't have an opportunity to talk about what we're trying to do. And that is put books into kids hands. So I'm going to put a plug in for our not for profit, which is brain food books. And we've started it, I guess, about eight months ago. And the idea is putting books into kids hands who don't have regular access we don't always know who those kids are, um, and so we're not saying it's it's you and it's not you. But one of the things with the drag story time was that Tara and, and us, if kids are buying books, we were giving a percentage of that back to Brain Food Books. And so our thinking in the 36 hours since this has happened is the best way we can fight back is to say, you know what? Buy a banned book. Donate some money to brain food. Make sure that you're taking your kids to the library to story time. Come to the King's English to story time. There are bookshops all over town that sell books, have story times. The libraries actually have killer story times. Make sure your kids have access to books because knowledge is power. Knowledge is love. And if kids understand all of this stuff at a young age, we are going to be in a better place. Anne Holman, manager of the King's English Bookshop in Salt Lake City, speaking with KRCL's Gavin Dahl. You can find the full interview online at krcl.org, then click on the link for Radioactive. And we round out today's show with a trip to Jackson, Wyoming, where some immigrants will soon have access to more legal help. A new nonprofit in Jackson is offering assistance to the growing community And as KHOL's Hannah Mersbach reports, it's giving people from other countries an opportunity to call the Cowboy State home. Sitting on their family couch in Teton Valley, Christy Liao Gable talks to her four-year-old son, speaking in Indonesian. Liao Gable's story sounds like that of many who've moved to the Tetons. Originally, I thought I'm only going to live here for a year, but 16 years later, I'm still here. But for a while, Liao Gable wasn't sure she'd be able to stay at all. She's from the Indonesian island of Sumatra, and when she first came to Jackson to be near her sister and work in finances at St. John's Health, she received a deportation letter over some incorrect paperwork. She only had 60 days to figure it out. When you're in early 20s, just graduate from college, that's the last thing you want to worry about and think about. Liao Gable says she turned to one of the only immigration lawyers in town. I finally able to hire Rosie as my attorney, and it's worth every penny. I'm here now, still, with a family and a house. <laughs> She's referring to Rosie Reed, a household name for many immigrants in Jackson. I think there are about five of us, five immigration attorneys, like in the whole state. At the time, Reed was practicing immigration law at a private firm in town, but says her goal was always to offer services for free or low cost. And that's finally coming to fruition. Earlier this summer, she began launching a nonprofit legal center to help immigrants in Teton County. We're definitely on the takeoff. I wouldn't say we're like at cruising altitude yet. Currently in the fundraising stage, the Wyoming Immigrant Advocacy Project has been in the works for over six years. 
Reid got the idea around the time former President Trump was elected in 2016, after he ran a campaign centered around cracking down on border policies. Reid says she saw a groundswell of support for immigrants. I started thinking, like, maybe there's a way to create a vehicle to kind of channel that support and help out this population that was looking like they were going to need a whole lot more help in the very near future. In 2021, Reed launched part of the program at the state's ACLU, focusing specifically on violations of civil liberties. And now she's expanding that program. She says the scope of needs have become much broader as the immigrant population grows in Teton County. Immigrants play a major role in making this place run. But also immigrants are now your kid's friends. It's your neighbor. They're business owners. Lura Matthews leads Immigrant Hope, which has provided legal aid to immigrants in the region for about seven years. She says there's a big need here, but her organization can only help with specific cases. So they might have married a U.S. citizen or people who have had DACA for a while. They need to renew their DACA every two years. People who have been green card holders for a while and want to apply for naturalization. Roughly 30 percent of Wyoming's Teton County community is estimated to be Latino, many who've immigrated from Mexico. Reed says Central Americans also travel here seeking asylum, and Eastern Europeans come for summer work in the region and often decide to stay. Matthew says Immigrant Hope can't help with all the cases since it doesn't have attorneys on staff, and that she welcomes the new nonprofit addressing that need. There has been a gap for more complicated cases and more difficult situations. According to the National Immigrant Justice Center, immigrants are five times more likely to win their case and be able to stay in the U.S. with an attorney. Rosie Reed says she gets calls from people asking for help all around the state, in places like Casper and Laramie. I'm just hoping people feel less desperate about getting that information and finding someone that can sort of walk alongside them in the immigration journey. Reed says launching the Wyoming Immigrant Advocacy Project has been overwhelming, but the community and donors are supportive so far, as it's been a long time coming. But when I'm able to sort of pause and lift my head up from all of that, I kind of can't, I can't believe this is finally happening. <laughs> Back in Christy Liao Gable's house in Victor, Idaho, she says in the late 2000s, Reed helped relieve a lot of her anxiety when she got that deportation letter. Liao Gable got a green card shortly after, and in 2015, she officially became a citizen of the U.S. I feel like I survived that whole immigration ordeal, and I survived to be here, and, you know, it's a huge accomplishment personally and now us as a family. Her husband sits next to her on the couch. Their son, Asher, squats in the corner of the living room, wearing a traditional batik shirt from Indonesia, playing with green toy garbage trucks. Liao Gable says she's trying to raise her son bilingual to have ties to her native culture. And says she hopes Reed can help more immigrants have a success story like her. There's a big need for it in this community and in the country. And I'm very thankful that I'm done with that part of life. <laughs> like I'm done with that chapter of like trying to get documentation and paperwork and all that stuff. Now I can live the life and raise our kid. 
The Wyoming Immigrant Advocacy Project is slated to begin accepting new clients next spring. And while it's mainly focused on Teton County, Rosie Reed says the goal is to help immigrants across the state down the line. Hannah Mersbach, KHL News. And you can see photos accompanying Hannah Mersbach's report at 891khol.org. You've been listening to The Regional Roundup, a production of Rocky Mountain Community Radio, a network of public and community radio stations in Colorado, Wyoming, Utah, Montana and New Mexico, including this one. Thanks to Lisa Young of KVNF, Gavin Dahl of KRCL and Hannah Mersbach of KHOL for today's show. Our theme music is Take Me Somewhere by Joel Adam Russell. I'm Maeve Conran. Thanks for listening.